I just want to open with a little bit of a, a story. I want to take you back to April of 2016, not, not so long ago, but during April of 2016, I had some friends call me up, some friends who were uh, faculty members and people who held other positions at Oaks Christian High School, and they called me up and said, hey, Jeremy, there's a, a job opportunity open for you. There's a faculty position here for the Bible teacher, and we think that you would be perfect, a, a perfect candidate for this job. And I was pretty stoked about it. I thought, man, this would be great. I love the Bible and I love teaching. I think this would be a, a great opportunity. So I looked at all the, the requirements for the job and it was like a shoe-in. I had all of the requirements. It would have been perfect. So I thought about it and prayed about it some time. The, the, the pay was great. The, the hours might be pretty cool. I mean, seven to three or something like that. You get the summers off and I was really excited about it, and I come to Jeff, and I say, hey, man, like, I don't want to leave Journey. I want to stay involved at Journey, but I also feel like this might be a great opportunity. What do you think? And he said, well, yeah, go for it. What do you have to lose? He was so supportive, he actually wrote a recommendation letter, as did the council, as did the staff. And so I had all of these documents together, and then I had my transcripts that looked like super shiny. They looked awesome. I had my resume and professional experience, specialization, academic awards, presentations, service, personal achievements, all of this stuff. But as I was putting this together, I also thought, like, this is just the good stuff about me. There's like another side of me that maybe isn't coming out so much when it comes to my resume. Well, I submitted all of these documents, but as I did so, I felt like really uneasy about it. As soon as I submitted these documents and said, here's my application, I just realized how much I love what I get to do here at Journey, how much I love being a pastor and love being with you guys and a part of everything. And I never wanted it to come to this decision that had to be made where it's like Journey or Oaks Christian because I felt like I wanted to do both, but there aren't enough hours in the day to actually do both. I mean, I could work 90, 100 hours a week. I would never see my wife. I would never get to go surfing or have any personal time. And this was really weighing on me. And so I, I, I prayed, God, whatever you want to be, let it be. But then I like changed the prayer a little bit. And I said, God, if you don't want me to be at Oaks, just don't even have them call me back. Like, I don't even want to call back because I don't ever want to get into the situation where I have to make this decision. So I submitted my documents and in April, no call. Then came May, no call. June rolled around, no call. July rolled around, and I was in Slovakia, so they may have called during July, but I didn't get it, and they didn't leave a voicemail. August rolls around, and no call. And by then, I was like, man, I'm kind of ticked off. You didn't even call me back. I'm like, what's up with that? Like, you are a professional organization, prestigious school. Like, you didn't even call me back. I realized, oh, yeah, my prayer was that they wouldn't call me back. And so either my resume was really kind of lame, or God had other plans, or in some way both. 
But I was thinking more about this resume, and I thought about, like, what would it look like if my potential employers received a resume that didn't just have all my shiny accomplishments and degrees and all of this stuff, but instead, my weaknesses? And I don't mean, like, my weakness is caring too much. My weakness is working too hard. My weakness is being too funny. My weakness is representing Christ too much. No, but like real weaknesses. Like, I struggle with this. I struggle with that. I have this kind of an attitude sometimes. What would that look like? Honest resumes. Resumes that show our weakness. Maybe more than our strengths. Well, that's actually what Paul does in our passage here tonight. A resume of weakness. That's the point that he actually comes to at the end of our section in view tonight. And so we're actually going to start with the end as we begin tonight. So if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. Paul writes, If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. Now, God, this sounds crazy, and we may not understand this, but would you enlighten us tonight? Would you free us from an understanding that we have to be strong, and we have to hold it all together, and we have to have this shining, smiley face and perfect resumes when in reality, we are broken and we are weak and desperately need you. Teach us tonight what it means to be vulnerable. Teach us tonight what it means to have a deeper understanding of who you are and how you operate in our lives and in our world. We look to you, Jesus, more than we look to anybody or anything. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So we kind of start with some confusing stuff tonight. But that's okay, because you guys are really smart people, and we're going to trudge through this with joy in our hearts. We already know how this ends, but we're going to get there. So Paul begins in our section, 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen, by playing the fool engaging in foolish talk for the sake of making his point. This is what it says. Again, I say, don't think that I am a fool to talk like this, but even if, I, even if you do listen to me as you would to a foolish person, while I also boast a little. Now, our perspective about this word fool, it might be skewed by Mr. T and his pitying of the fool, but Mr. T and his pitying of the fool, Mr. T and this, there he is, Mr. T and his pitying of the fool, but in Greco-Roman society, that is the ancient culture of the Greeks and the Romans, this word, afron, everybody say afron, afron is this Greek word we see translated here in our passage as fool. Fool is not, in this Greco-Roman culture, a dim-witted person, a clown, or a jester, but someone who has lost the correct measure of himself or herself and the world 
around them. So essentially what Paul is beginning to say in this passage is, I'm not a fool, so don't pity me. I'm not someone who's lost the correct measure of myself in the world around me, but let me act like one now. Let me act like those imposters, those false teachers that you find so entrancing and so captivating and so wise. Let me boast a little bit. Let me be like them. But know this, verse 17 and 18, such boasting is not from the Lord, but I am acting like a fool. And since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. In other words, I've got laurels, I've got credentials, degrees, and shiny badges too. Verses 19 through 21, after all, you think you are so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. Here's a strange kind of statement that Paul's making. What are you talking about, being too weak to do that? He's using here irony. He's actually saying, if we put it in reverse, we're not nearly as strong as you Corinthians. You guys are so strong in the way that you let these false teaching imposters rob you of your freedom, rip you off, steal you blind, put you down, and even slap your face, metaphorically speaking. Verse 21b says, But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again, or here I go, talking like a fool again, because I dare to boast about it too. Since you admire these egomaniacs of the pulpit so much, let me try my hand at it. Let's do some table talk tonight. Actually, a table exercise tonight. What I want you to do at the people around your tables is you're going to need a Bible for this. We have Bibles at the back uh, table, a couple of them back there. What I want you to do is read 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 29, read it aloud, and also read Philippians 3, 5 through 6, and create an orderly resume. You know what a resume is, right? Yeah, you know what a resume is. If you don't know, uh, ask the people around you. And remember, as you're doing this with the piece of paper provided, Get all the laurels, all the credentials, degrees, and shiny badges in there, too. Ready, go. All right, let's wrap it up. So did Paul get the job or what? Did Paul get the job or what? How did his resume look? Like, how did you organize his resume? I just want to hear from a couple of tables. Like, what were the things that, that you really thought were hey, we definitely have to list this first, or this is really important. Let's go from this table. They're like Googling it over here. I don't know what's going on. Not ready yet. Okay, let's, let's go. You guys ready or what? What's a resume? They had to Google that. So you just listed them all in no order, nothing? Just here it is. Okay. All right. Yeah, Andy, your group. Yeah, he's really good at sinking boats. I like that. Yeah, one more. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
That's some pretty good stuff. That's some pretty cool stuff. Let's hear from Ed. Yeah, Survivor. Yeah, a lot of prison, a lot of behind bars experience, true life, scared straight, that sort of stuff. Lowell. Uh, They said a bunch of stuff like uh, prison experience, shipwreck, robbed, all the stuff in the passage that you read. Yeah, a lot of lashes. So you guys are just repeating to me like the stuff that's in the passage, which is great. But like, what? Like, I, I like that the survivor. He doesn't say Paul. All right. Well, good job. Good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are good things. What what I'm trying to point out are like the few areas when you do a resume. Maybe this is for for good job situations. You want to make sure it's organized, like. This is my academic experience. This is my job experience. This is my life experience. Like, that's what I mean. So when we look at the life of Paul, he's got travel issues, like we talk about. Uh, He's got money problems, or else he wouldn't be cold or starving or anything like that. He's definitely got personal problems, relational red flags, family dysfunctionality, and all sorts of mess. This is not really what you would consider a resume. This is hardly a resume. It's definitely not a bragamony. You know what that is? When someone comes up here to give a testimony of what God has done in their life, and the language is all about them. It's like me, 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 I, 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 I. This is certainly not a bragamony to be proud of. It's more like a rap sheet. You guys mentioned his, his prison uh, experience there. This is like a rap sheet. Even when it comes to his laurels, his credentials, degrees, shiny badges that are sprinkled throughout, Paul says this in Philippians 3, 7 through 9a. I once thought these things were valuable. He mentions all of those wonderful things, like you guys mentioned about being of the tribe of Benjamin, and a Pharisee of Pharisees, and so forth. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. That's a bad translation. Uh, the, the Greek is skubulon, and most translations won't translate what it really means because it means something really bad words. And so uh, it, it's basically animal excrement, what you throw to the dogs. It's really bad. What he's saying, we count it all as garbage, as rubbish, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. This is what he says in verses 22 through 29. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often. That's something to be be proud of, right? Well, he's actually promoting the gospel, and that's why he's been in prison. He's not drug trafficking or anything like that. Not to call anybody out, <laughs> pastor. <clears throat> anyway, he's been whipped times without number, faced death again and again, five different times that Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. 
Most of us would probably learn the first time. Like, that didn't feel good, but five times, and he still went on. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Obviously, that's talking about with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. You would probably die if you were anyone else than, than Paul here. Uh, there was actually a report of a surfer who went missing this summer off the coast of Scotland, and they found him like 39 hours later, 13 miles off the coast. Apparently, he just got sucked out to sea. Unfortunately, they found him alive. But Paul has a similar experience, obviously, in the Mediterranean, where it's a, a lot warmer than Scotland. But he continues in verse 26, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. So basically everywhere. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and do not burn with anger? And I do not burn with anger. Verses 30 and 31, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. And certainly this list shows Paul's weakness. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. Have you ever been to the gym before? And over by the mirror, there's the, the rack of dumbbells. And they go from the lightest to the heaviest. And, you know, you go up to these dumbbells if you've ever been to a gym, and you start on the lighter side. But to be honest, you always kind of start a little bit heavier than maybe you possibly should. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you're like, I want to impress everybody here. And so you go up to it, and you, you, you pull them, and you, you do maybe like, oh, one and two. And then you're like, whew, I'm done. Moving up to the 10-pounder now, because that was really heavy. Well, to tell you what, I max out at like one time I did 40 pounds on those dumbbells. I'm not like a weightlifter, but yeah, you, you can, you just like made me feel good about myself, bro. Thank you. Appreciate that. But I, I'm like 40 pounds is not even in the middle of like all the rest. But to be honest with you, I don't think I've really ever, maybe I just go to the gym with old people uh, or people who aren't really strong or whatever, but I've never seen anyone go with the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100-pound dumbbells. I'm like, how do you even lift those things? But when I see these things, they're like untouched, perfect, brand new looking. When I'm maybe at 40 pounds and I see all these heavier weights, it reminds me actually of my weakness. Not in like a bad way where it's like, oh, you're so weak. But it shows me maybe where I could progress to. Not that I want to like get yoked up like Jar Keith or John Urango or anything like that. Um, so if you're a supplier of creatine or muscle milk or anything like that, I, I don't need human growth hormones. I, that's not my, my plan. But I actually kind of like it to see 
that I am weak. Now this sounds strange, but how can the reminder of weakness be beneficial to the Christian life? Let's talk about this at our tables. How can the reminder of weakness be beneficial to the Christian? All right, let's wrap it up. Finish the thought. I believe that our weakness, that our weakness, it reveals our desperation, our dependence on and our absolute need for God. When I was in high school, my grandfather, uh, he went through an entire change of life. He was a young man and hardworking. He had a couple heart attacks. He had a stroke. He had cancer multiple times. And there was a, a time in his life when it looked like it was going to be the end, that cancer was taking over. He had grown so weak in his body. His, his skin was deteriorating. He was losing muscle mass, all this sort of, sort of stuff. But by this time, he had become a Christian after years and years of, of wanting nothing to do with God. He became a Christian late in life. And late in life, I mean, not that late in life. He was 66 years old. And uh, I, I remember going over to his house to baptize him. And we had the pastor of the church come over because my granddad was too weak to make it to church. And so we baptized him there in his recliner in the living room by pouring water all over his head. And I remember it was this just powerful moment. The Holy Spirit was just so thick in the place. We had the, the camcorder and everything going, and everyone was crying. It was so inspirational. And then I remember he, he looked to the pastor and he said, Ed, I'll see you on Sunday. Now, the thing about my grandfather is that he was always just like a rough exterior, but a marshmallow on the inside. He's like Jim Pendergrass, if you know who Jim Pendergrass is, uh, but he's a little bit smaller than big Jim Pendergrass. But they were friends and Jim would tell you that my granddad would always come into church, whether he was supposed to be on oxygen or supposed to be walking with a cane, without oxygen and without a cane, because he felt that that would show some weakness or some vulnerability. Well, I remember it was in December of that year when he was on his deathbed, and we were there, and hospice was there, and had to say goodbye like multiple times because he was pretty touch and go. And so that was really hard to say goodbye multiple times to someone you love. And you think that was it. And then you find out that they're still alive. And he was holding on, clinging to life, which I think is like our natural instinct just to, to live, right? To, to fight and fight and fight. And I remember having to tell him like, it's okay, granddad. Like you can go. We've got this. It's okay to be weak. It's okay in the situation because you know where you're going, and we all know where you're going. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be full of change, but we're going to get through this because we aren't alone. We will never walk alone. In our weakness, we can see God work. 
In our desperation, we get to see God meet those needs. In our dependence on God, not on our own selves, we don't put faith into ourselves or pastors or leaders or churches or anything like that. We put our faith in God alone. Because God is the deliverer. It's not a pastor or a church or a sermon or a song or anything like that that saves us. It doesn't even matter how faithful we are. That's not what saves us. But what saves us is the object of our faith. And that object of our faith is Jesus Christ. And what God did on the cross, the God-man, the Son of God, who came into our world to show us how to live. And he was humble. He was full of love, full of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And he looked like a weakling dying on a cross. But the strength that it took to do that and to go through with that and the faithfulness that it took to do that is insurmountable. Only God could do that. But Paul finishes this section here. After experiencing the Lord Jesus, he reflects back on an experience that he had shortly after experiencing conversion. He closes out this section with an undoubtedly humbling memory. This is what it says in verse 32 and 33. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Eretus, kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through an open window in the city wall to escape from him. It's not necessarily a, a glorious escape of valiant proportion. Only a basket case would see it as something worthy to boast of. So why does Paul boast of this? Why does he create a resume of weakness? Certainly it's to differentiate himself between the false teaching imposters and to show the truth in humility, but he's most certainly coming to a mind-blowing conclusion that in order to find out what this conclusion is, you're going to have to come back next week. So, Sorry, that's just the way it is. So let us pray. God, we thank you for weakness and the lessons we learn when we are weak. The lessons we learn that we can't do it on our own, that we desperately need you, that we must depend upon you. Lord, I pray for people in here tonight because I know that there are situations here right now that are far out of our control. We don't understand the circumstances and we might be lost. We might be feeling so broken and so weak that we have nowhere to turn, God. We feel empty inside. That this void inside our hearts feels like it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and we can't do anything. 
But Lord, we know that you fill those empty spaces. You fill those voids. Would you forgive us for neglecting you, for neglecting our dependence upon you, and thinking that, man, I can do this on my own. Because the truth is, Lord, we can't. So allow us the opportunity to be humble where we have been prideful. Allow us the opportunity to be forgiving where we've been stubborn. Allow us the opportunity to be loving where we have been full of spite and hate and grudges. Allow us the opportunity to see your strength in our weakness. God, we thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. And as we tune out the noise and the chaos and the confusion and the distractions, when we seek you more than anything else, our restless hearts, they find their place in you. So speak to us in loud ways this week, God. Would we live out the remainder of this week as people who love you more than we love ourselves? that we would love you and love the people of this world one person at a time. We love you and we praise you, God. And I thank you for these people here tonight. I ask that you would bless them. That as they leave this place, they would experience your spirit. It would reside with them and walk with them all the days of their lives. May your love and mercy chase after us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. Don't forget that if you're a man, we have that Dodger game coming up this weekend, and I want to invite you to it. If you want more information, come talk to me, and we'll see you on Sunday.